0: Sweet little Jesus boy, they made you be born in a man.
1: Good morning, sweet little Jesus boy. We didn't know who you were. Our eyes were blind, we could not see. We didn't know who you were. I wonder if that explains why the innkeeper missed Christmas, the very first Christmas back in Bethlehem. I mean, why was the Son of God born in a stable? Remember what the scriptures say in Luke chapter 2? While they, Joseph and Mary, were there, the time came for the baby to be born, for Jesus to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And why was that? Well, let's hear the explanation from a group of kids. You ready?
0: Once upon a time, there lived a girl named Mary, and an angel came to her one day and said, i having a baby. A baby? What kind of baby? Look like pumpkins. That's it? And frogs. Mary went to go tell Joseph, her husband, who she was marrying. I'm going to have a baby and he's going to be the son of God and I don't know what we're going to do about it. They traveled to Bethlehem to pay their taxes and they probably didn't want to walk that far. They wanted a sports car. The rooms were full because it was Christmas Eve. They asked people and they said there's nowhere to stay. i asked Joseph, where do we stay? I have no idea. They asked the um the innkeeper, do you have any rooms? He said, no, I don't, but you can sleep in the um you can sleep in the barn. She was like, I'm not staying there. Is that the only place we can go? <laughs> Stinky. They said, okay. And then the ba- baby Jesus was born. The shepherds were out in the field to take care of sheep. And it was Davis and his brothers and his dad, Jeffrey. No, wait, not Davis, Daniel. And then Angel shut up and said, um, that um, God's being born, and then they said, "Follow the star, follow the brightest star. You'll see the ba- you'll see baby Jesus. What else? Wise men, or um, three kings from the east. And they saw this bright light, and it was when Jesus was born. They brought gifts to him: little presents, gold." Something and something. Gold um, and Frankenstein and Bo. They look like the metal. It's about Jesus. He wanted to love people and he wanted them to be happy. First he was a little baby and then he's Dog grown up to be a man, and then he was Jesus. He um, made us and he loves us. He's God, and that's why we celebrate Christmas. Christmas is Santa's
1: birthday. All right, Gold, Frankenstein, and Moe, you heard it. <laughs> so there was no room in the inn, she said, because it was Christmas Eve, right? Well, the no vacancy was definitely out that night. Bethlehem was a booming town, and people were there for the census to pay their taxes, and we can only imagine that Joseph and Mary had a late start, and things were slow going at nine months pregnant and traveling some 70-plus miles from Nazareth down to Bethlehem. And that's why we could say there was no room in the inn. They were late to the take, and it just was filled up, no room anywhere in Bethlehem we also know though as we're reading through the story again this year that God's in complete control over every detail at first blush it looks like Caesar Augustus the Roman emperor is kind of pulling the strings you might think King Herod is in control of things but what's clear is God is in control He's using Caesar Augustus to move Joseph and Mary from Nazareth down to Bethlehem because that's where the prophet Micah said the Savior would be born. He uses King Herod to move Joseph and Mary then down to Egypt because the prophet Hosea says, out of Egypt I called my son. God is in complete control of the events of human history and it was his plan for his son to be born in all places a stable. And for his son to be laid in a filthy feeding trough for animals. It was God's plan. And to that, we can also say that the innkeeper had to be oblivious to what was going on that night. To see this woman nine months pregnant, he had no clue that she was just about to give birth to the Son of God. So it begs the question, what if he knew? What if he knew What was about to take place in his inn that night? Do you think there might have been a little change of room arrangements? Maybe swapping his room for the stable? Do you think if he knew, Jesus would have been born in a feeding trough? Joseph and Mary would have been left out in the cold. You see, when we know who Jesus is, when we recognize him, for who he is, we won't leave him out in the stable. We won't do that. Now the innkeeper, he gets a lot of interesting things said about him. Some people take shots at him. He says he's kind of like the first Scrooge it ever was, you know, pushing the son of God and his parents out in the cold. Others start to feel sorry for the innkeeper. No, 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 it wasn't quite like that. You know, he, he was a good man, and, and he actually provided a place for these people. But we don't really know. We don't know that much about him, do we? We don't know anything about him. All we know is there is no room in the inn. But what I can tell you is he was clueless as to what was going on. He missed the first Christmas. He was unaware. And with him, so many people like him, even today, they don't get it. It's like the fog we've been driving through this week. It's hard to see. They didn't see Jesus for who he was. Jesus speaks of this very possibility when he says, at the end of his life, Father, forgive them, speaking of the religious leaders who are taking him out to Golgotha's Hill to crucify him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. They don't know. They don't get it. They're clueless. And that's why he describes them as blind guides leading the blind. They don't get it. And that's happening today. I wonder if we spent the afternoon hanging outside the front doors of Dick's Sporting Goods. We, we talked to the first 100 people and said, what's the true meaning of Christmas? How many of the 100 would get it right? Would it be 80? It be 20. Would it be 40? Would it be 50, 60? How many? Everything around our culture makes it harder and harder to see Christ in Christmas. The decorations that are put up in the front yards, the, the stores, the music, the cards, the parties. So little of it has anything to do with Christ. I, I wonder if the lyrics to Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer is more familiar than Silent Night to many people. I don't know if you saw the Your Opinion section in this week's State Journal. The topic was Favorite Christmas Tradition. And before they gave these different uh, editorial responses to this question, they added this little sentence paragraph, and I quote, We didn't receive a single story about tree trimming, candlelight church services, family gatherings, caroling, or sailing. Not sure what that is, anyways. We were left, though, with a letter about global warming, Christmas Eve closings, and a letter on the power-draining, earth-destroying bane of holiday lights. Missing Christmas. And missing Christmas is all about missing Christ. For some, it's the busyness of Christmas, like in Bethlehem. They're distracted from Christ. For others, it's the pride, the proud heart of a King Herod who wouldn't bow down to any other king. For some, it is the distractions of religiosity and the pursuit of these external things that dilute us into thinking we're actually a gift to God and no longer see the need for the gift from God. Or today, people who are simply unaware, unaware of who Christ is and what he came to do. When you look through the scriptures, here are some of the people that come into this unaware category, the clueless category we could call it. First of all, there's his family, the ones he Grew up with. They didn't get it. Mark tells us in chapter 3 after hearing that he's casting out demons as he starts his public ministry. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of Jesus, for they said, He's out of his mind. They didn't get it. The people in Nazareth who watched him grow up in that small village didn't get it. Mark 6 writes, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, Nazareth, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house as a prophet without honor. He could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. And he was amazed at their lack of faith. And lack of faith is connected to their lack of spiritual insight. They don't get it. They think they know exactly who he is. That's Mary's son. Remember the carpenter. We know his brothers, Joseph and Judas and Simon, and remember his sisters, never dreaming that Mary's son could be God's son. Unaware of the kid down the street. The crowds in Jerusalem were unaware. They go from blessing him as the coming king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on that Palm Sunday morning, laying down their palm branches and their coats to give this coming king rightful entry into Jerusalem. And then just a few days later, as they're deceived by the religious leaders, they cry for his death. Crucify him. Crucify him. Unaware who Jesus was. His own disciples were at many points clueless. Jesus says at one point, Why are you so dull? Why don't you guys get it? Then in Luke 18... Jesus just having announced that he's going to go to Jerusalem and die, Luke writes this, the disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them and they did not know what he was talking about. They just didn't get it. They didn't get it then and people still don't get who he is today. Have you ever had that situation, that circumstance where you're around somebody who's famous, who's... um, an important person, and you didn't know it. You, you didn't know who that person was. I can think of this funny story back when I was a kid. We were uh, on a field trip downtown Chicago, and somewhere at the end of the day, we were in a, in a gift store, and I looked through this kind of carousel, and I saw the, the face of a man, and I thought, I-, I know who that is. Now, for a lot of you, Gail Goodrich doesn't mean a thing, but Gail Goodrich was the sidekick guard, the number two guard, next to Jerry West, who was one of the top guards in the whole NBA. He played for the L.A. Lakers, and that was Gail Goodrich, the left-handed guard. He was good, and I loved hoops, and man, this was, this was cool. So I said to my buddies, hey, 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 look who's over there. It's Gail Goodrich. No, it's not Gail Goodrich. They were sure it was. I said, yes, it, that is too Gail Goodrich. No, it's not. I said, I'm going to prove it. So I went up to him. I said, excuse me, sir. Are you Gail Goodrich? I said, yes, I am. Next thing I know, me and my buddies are all getting autographs. See, I told you. Completely unaware who this guy was. Completely unaware who Jesus was. I mean, how, how does that happen? From his own disciples, to his own family, to the people that grew up next to him. How could so many people in his day keep missing it? To the religious leaders that were looking for this promised Messiah. How did they miss it? How do we miss it? I think the scriptures point out three critical factors that help explain why it is we're so dull. Why we miss it. Why we're unaware. The first factor is sin. Here's what the Bible says about the power of sin. Proverbs 4. But the way of the wicked is like deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. John writes, But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded him. Matthew writes, For this people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears and they have closed their eyes Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And Jesus said, I would heal them. Sin makes us unaware. How does it do it? It blinds us. It blinds us from the truth of who Jesus is. Satan does the same thing. That's a second factor. He's called the God of this age in 2 Corinthians 4. Listen to what Paul writes. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And then there's God himself who at times will put blinders on people from his own disciples to the learned and the wise that we read about in Luke 10. At that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said... I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. I I can't understand that. What I know is God's mysterious purposes were at times to hide things, even from the wise and the learned. Could it be these people that are very proud in their own intellectual pursuits and attainments, that he would humble them by revealing it to little kids that we wouldn't think would know, children. The factors, sin and Satan, and at times, God. Well, who gets it? Who gets it as we start reading through the New Testament? Well, Peter gets it. When asked, who do you think I am? He says, you are the Messiah. You're the Christ." He gets it. Blind Bartimaeus gets it. This blind man outside of Jericho hears Jesus coming through, and the blind man sees exactly who Jesus is. And that's why he calls him by the prophetic name Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The thief on the cross gets it. Luke writes about him in the end of his gospel, Luke 23. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him, at Jesus. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross gets it. The centurion, the guy who's overseeing his crucifixion, he's watched all that's taken place, how Jesus has interacted with his mother, how he's interacted with those who were spitting on him, how he's interacted with his own sufferings before the Father. And he concludes when he breathes his last, surely this man is what? The Son of God gets it a Roman centurion he gets it and then there's an even more surprising group who gets it the demons get it every time you see the demons running into Jesus they know exactly who Jesus is but the interesting thing is their understanding of who he is even their bold proclamation of who he is never translates into obedience that's a scary thought that we could actually acknowledge today, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but it makes no difference in how I'm living my life today. That was true then, and it's true today. Here's what the demon said in Mark chapter 1. I know who you are, the demon says, the Holy One of God. Chapter 3, Mark writes, Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You, are the Son of God hmm. well let 's look at one last guy. His name is Saul when we first meet him in the pages of scripture he 's given the name Paul later on. Turn to Acts chapter nine page seven seventy seven and let 's look at verses three to nine as we 're turning to Acts chapter nine, what i 'd say to you is as we 've been talking about missing Christmas. Paul is the first century poster child for our series. He's a busy, proud, religious man. And he's missed Christmas so bad that he is actually pursuing the followers of Christ, hunting them down, beating them up, persecuting them, throwing them into prison. And he's even acknowledged in the scriptures of having been an accomplice to their murder. This guy's completely missed Christ. And so we read in verse 3, As he, Paul, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Paul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Skip down to verse 17. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. And we ask the question, how did Paul go from a proud religious Pharisee who was completely blind to who Jesus was so that when he met him in this vision, he didn't know who was talking to him to a person who immediately goes and starts telling people, Jesus is the Son of God. How'd that happen? If that was our assignment in class today, and we gather in our little groups, we would have to say, it didn't have a whole lot to do with Paul, did it? I mean, he was on his way to go beat up Jesus' followers. He wasn't on the path to turning his life around, opening his eyes. He was blind as a bat. In fact, God had to blind him for him to see. That's what we'd say. It was all God's doing. He arrests him on the path. He meets him in this vision. He speaks to him in this vision. He blinds him through this vision. He meets Ananias who prays for him. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. And all of a sudden, the scales fall off physically so that he sees to let us know that spiritually he's seeing as well. And we know he sees. Because now he recognized Jesus as the son of God and he boldly proclaims him. And we say it was all God's doing, God's gracious doing to find Saul. His gracious doing to fill him with his spirit, to open his eyes and to help him to see. And what we can say too is Saul followed God's word. He followed God's word. He could have gone back home. Said, Man, this is this is a weird trip. I don't think I ought to go to Damascus. I don't think I'm going into town. I think I'm going home. It was all God's doing, but in the midst of that, you find Saul responding to God's message. Okay? So what does God use to move someone from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight, from being clueless to having more than just a clue to getting it. Well, he uses his spirit, his word, his people, and prayer. Here's what the scriptures say about the work of the spirit in our lives to open our eyes. Paul writes in First Corinthians chapter 2 No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God has destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. He's speaking to the religious leaders. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us. He's opened our eyes by what? By spirit. That's the spirit that reveals who God is and what is true. It's the Spirit. And the Spirit always is working with the Word. Don't miss that. The Spirit is always working with the Word. And so we're not surprised when the Word is called the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. In Ephesians 6, in Romans 10, we're not surprised that seeing doesn't come. It's not seeing that helps us to believe. It's actually believing that helps us to see. And it's the faith that we're given by God that opens our eyes to believe what is true about God and his son. So we read in 1017 of Romans, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ, but it also comes through his people, people like Paul and people like you and me, as we go out sharing a joyful witness in our lives And through our words. So Jesus says to Paul. And Paul's at the end of his life standing trial. And he's reflecting back to that Damascus Road experience. And he's kind of telling us what Jesus said to him in verse 16. And Jesus said to Paul. Now get up. Stand on your feet. I've appeared to you to appoint to you as a servant. And as a witness of what you've seen of me. And what I will show you. I will rescue you from your own people. And from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them. Listen. Listen to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Through God's people who have the Spirit and the Word of God, He uses us to help people to see. And some of you right here would say, that's exactly how it was. This person came into my life. And they help me to see what I never saw before. And then there's prayer. Paul writes about this prayer for opening the eyes of our heart in Ephesians chapter 1. He prays also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that they get it. And so this Christmas, don't let busyness keep you from gazing at the manger. Don't let your pride keep you from bowing down and worshiping the king. Don't allow your religious external performance keeping you from seeing your need every day of the gracious gift of God, Jesus Christ. And don't let your ignorance make you unaware of Jesus Christ, whereby you would leave him out in the cold. There's something about Christmas and the gifts of Christmas that beg us to come and see. That's so true for our children. They, they know exactly what's going on under the tree. They're, there's this kind of mysterious thing. I think there's like scanners in their minds and there's barcodes on their gifts. And they know. They know how many are there and they know where they're supposed to be. And they know if somebody's moved them around. And, and if we're honest, a lot of us knew about those gifts before they ever got under the tree, right? We we know where, we knew where mom was hiding those gifts. And, and sometimes, probably not you, but some of us here, if we're honest, would say, I, I got to Christmas always a little early because curiosity always got me. Because it was just calling for me to come and see, check it out. And so we, in the quiet of darkness we're in the emptiness of a home, started carefully. We never unwrapped our presents like this on Christmas morning. But before Christmas, when we were trying to sneak a peek, we were ever so careful to not leave any evidence that we've actually opened the gift and some of us actually enjoyed the gift, only to rewrap the gift and put it under the tree and then act all surprised on Christmas morning like we've never seen it before. Christmas does that. A gift does that. wonder what it is. wonder what's in there. Jesus is called the indescribable gift of God. It's the gift when it's opened and recognized for who he is, will have a say, I had no idea. I had no idea. Here's what you can expect to learn and find about this indescribable gift. He's the promised Savior that God promised to his people in ages past. This one who would crush the enemy's head. This enemy who brought all things wrong into this world. He is the promised descendant of Abraham through him. God says all the families of the entire world will be blessed through him. He is the one, this ancient descendant of King David, this great king who would set up an eternal kingdom and would reign forevermore. And his kingdom would be a kingdom where you and I would go, forget democracy. We want a king like this, a king who loves his people, who leads them like a shepherd, caring for his own, like his own sheep, holding him close to his own heart, a a king who would be willing to die. To lay down his life for the sheep. The prophets tell us this indescribable gift is a wonderful counselor. He is an everlasting father. He is the mighty God. He is the prince of peace. He's all that you long for right now in your life. And he's so much more. Isaiah goes on to say he's the suffering servant. He's the one who would come down die for you and me rebels he'd be despised the king of kings and he'd be rejected and he'd be bruised and he'd be pierced so that you and I could have our sins forgiven he would go through hell so that you and I could know peace John says he is the word of God the the perfect communication of what God is like in the flesh, living, coming to us so that we could know God. He is the one through whom all this world was created, the eternal Son of God. John the Baptist, his cousin, called him the Lamb, the Lamb who came to die. He was born to die. Peter says, He was born to die so that you and I would be brought close to God. He says in Galatians 3, Paul does, that he was cursed as he hung on that cross so that he would forever keep us from the curse. He was crucified on a cross that you and I might be rescued from sin and death and the fear of death and the enemy, and he rose again. I wonder, is this the Jesus that you know? God's indescribable gift. His mercy never ends. His joy is everlasting. His love endures forever. His peace passes human understanding. His word is true, and he's true to his word. His character is perfect and holy. He calls all those who are weary and worn out today, come to me, and I'll give you rest. He's the one who's near to the brokenhearted. He's the champion of the oppressed. He delivers the captives. He removes our sin, the Bible says, as far as the east is from the west. He gives purpose and meaning in life today. He adopts us into his family. He will right all wrongs, the the things that drive you crazy today. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's alive and he's coming back to make all things Right. I wonder do you know him? He's full of grace. He's full of truth. For all the things that aren't clear to you, he's the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact representation of his being. He's a rewarder of those who seek him. He'll never turn you away. He is God's indescribable gift, a gift too wonderful for words do you know him and yet the lesson of those demons reminds us that it's not enough for us to know things about him do we know him that is have we received this gift remember what john says people have been missing christmas from the very beginning they didn't recognize him for who he was and they didn't receive him they didn't believe in him Where is Jesus Christ this Christmas 2007? Is he out in the cold? Out in the back stable somewhere in your life? Or by faith, have you received him in, recognizing him for who he is, embracing him as your all in all? If you've never done that, and the scriptures say, it's by faith. You're, You're at the point where you're hearing things and the Spirit's work in your heart and it's saying this is true and you're believing these things and you just tell God that you do believe that that His Son died that you might live He came to us that we might live with Him forever and you turn away from all that life where you've been distracted and proud and pursuing Him from the externals of your life and you fall before him and embrace him by faith as your all in all. Some of us here know him well, but if we're honest, he's moved away from the center. And it's time to center our lives back on him. Let's pray. Lord God, you are a great God and your son is is a gift far greater than words can describe. And yet you have given us your word on him. And I pray that you would, through your spirit, help us to believe these things, help us to act on these things, that you would open eyes today, that you'd grant faith, that you'd give life and sight. And with that joy and peace and hope, And we pray this all for the honor of your name. Amen.